He is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds, whether those worlds are known or unknown to mankind. unclouded by hate does not wisdom cry and understanding put forth her voice hello everybody my name's charlie you might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer c.e dorset and if you can't tell i still have a cold (laughs) i'm gonna push through and hopefully it won't be too distracting but i apologize for my nasalness today okay so we are continuing our series on the apostles creed We only have, I think, two more episodes in this series, yeah, today and tomorrow. And today, we are going to be talking about the forgiveness of sins. If you don't know why we're doing this, I highly recommend you go back to the first episode in the series and just be amazed at the strange thing that the the video that, uh, inspired this entire adventure. Like with almost every aspect of the creed, I feel like it's important for me to start out by saying that this is a controversial topic. And I say that because almost everything in the Christian faith is controversial to somebody. Now, when it comes to the forgiveness of sins, this is kind of doubly so. Because you you really have, for the first time, something that can bring both sides of the spectrum together in that they disagree on what this phrase means. On the right side of the spectrum, you tend to have preachers who, despite their rhetoric, seem to believe that sin is something that cannot really be forgiven and that torment, pain, and suffering are the only ways that we get better and that we deserve the bad things that happen to us because we're evil, sinful creatures on the left side of the spectrum. I can't tell you how many times I have read or heard somebody say that the one thing that they are tired of hearing is people talking about sin. And I fall somewhere oddly in the middle here. I'm sure you've noticed from a lot of the content that I put up on this channel that I generally fall on the left side of most of these arguments, but this is one where, I don't know, maybe it's because of my upbringing in the Baptist church, my time with the non-denominational church, or my time with the Roman Catholic church, I don't know. But I feel like sin is something that we don't talk about enough, and it's something that we don't talk about in the right ways. In fact, when I first launched um, Wisdom's Cry... The very first debate I ever had was with a gentleman in the comments who basically attacked me from both sides, depending on how I responded to them about the concept of sin. Sin is one of the easiest and hardest concepts in all of scripture and tradition to understand. Sin is missing the mark. That's it. 
In fact, <clears throat> we could spend a lot of time debating what actually constitutes sin. Paul tells us that anything that we do that is not in faith is sin. Jesus tells us that we will be judged by the way that we judge others. So, before we even get to the topic of the Ten Commandments or the 613, you know, laws of the Mosaic Code, it's almost an open question as to what it means to sin. And I go back often to the actual meaning of the word in both the Hebrew and the Greek, the phrase that is used translates to to miss the mark. They're generally archery terms, especially in Greek. It is an archery term that, you know, when you don't hit the target. And I think that this is a very good way for us to think about this because I think people over-exaggerate what, especially Paul, means when he says that we are sinful people. We're not evil. There's a big difference between being sinful and being evil. Being evil is being motivated by some desire to destroy, to break down, to tear apart. In fact, our word diabolical literally comes from two words. It means to cut in two. It is from the same word, actually, that symbolic comes from. Symbolic means to put together. Diabolic means to cut apart. Literally, if you look at the words themselves. And I don't think that that describes most people. I don't think that that describes all people at all. I think that describes a very few individuals. And most of them are people whose names that you would know. When we talk about sin, we are talking about missing the mark. So what is the mark? Well, like I said, Paul tells us that anything that we do not do in faith is sin. And so I would like to actually read that passage from the letter to the Romans. It's in Romans 14. I'm going to start in verse 18. For he who serves Christ in these things is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then, let us follow after things which make for peace and things whereby we build one another up. Don't overthrow God's word work for food's sake. All things indeed are clean. However, it is evil for that man who creates a stumbling block by eating. It is good not to eat meat, drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, is offended, or is made weak. Do you have faith? Have it to yourself before God. Happy is he who doesn't judge himself in that which he approves. But he who doubts is condemned if he eats because it isn't of faith, and whatever is not of faith is sin. Okay, so let's talk about this in context. Paul is 
talking to the Romans about, well, the kosher rules. Is it required of Christians to keep kosher? And this is something we can talk about in great detail at some other point, but Paul's basic argument is no, you do not have to keep kosher to be a Christian, which means that you don't have to worry about if the food, you know, the seafood that you eat has scales, for example, because anything that comes out of the ocean that does not have scales is not kosher. So that's no shrimp, no shellfish, no catfish, right? Nothing that doesn't have scales. So that covers a lot of things. But as he says here, you know, all food is clean. You know, you can have whatever you want. And in fact, there's a large passage in the book of Acts where we actually get this, you know, clarified on several occasions, actually. One, even in a vision. But he says that if you do it, you know, but if he doubts, but he who doubts is condemned if he eats. Now, that's the important thing here. See, if you have set your own standard to, I am going to be kosher, and then you are not, you have committed a sin by not eating kosher. You can see this in people that are vegetarian, piscatarian, or vegan. You can see this very easily played out in our modern culture. These are people who have taken certain dietary restrictions upon themselves for generally ethical reasons. Most of the people that I know that have taken up those lifestyles have done it for ethical reasons. Some for health reasons, but most of them, when you talk to them, it's for ethical reasons. And so if they were ever to do something that wasn't in accord with those ethical opinions, yes, they have missed the mark. Does that mean that if the rest of us who have not chosen to be pescatarian, vegetarian, or vegan decide to eat something that's not on one of those diets, we have sinned? No. And I think that's true for every diet. You know, I have family members who are um, paleo and have gone through various uh, ketogenic diets over the years. And they often treat the dietary habits of those of us in the family who are not on their diet as sinful. To them, maybe, but not to us. I didn't decide to eat paleo because I don't think it's proper. And it's not something that I'm interested in doing. So for me, it is not sinful. For them, if they were to go off their diet, it would be simply because they have added those restrictions to themselves. Paul is talking here about the subjectivity of sin. Does that mean that there is no such thing as a strict morality? Well, I think that there are certain things that we can all agree to, and a lot of them are covered in the Noahide Laws, which we've talked about on this podcast before. You don't kill you don't steal, and you don't abuse others sexually. You don't torture animals, and you establish courts of justice. These are things that almost everybody can agree on as basic morality. 
It's not right to kill people. It's not right to steal. <laughs> it's not right to abuse others sexually. Beyond that, it really depends on what you have accepted onto yourself. We can talk about the Ten Commandments, and this is where even those become blurry. We look at topics like honor your father and mother. Well, if your father and mother are, you know, abusive and causing issue, are you still supposed to honor them? The, the, see, this is where people get confused when we talk about how morality is relative. Is it wrong to lie to a Nazi to protect the Jews upstairs? If you are a strict absolutist and believe that lying is always wrong, then yes. But, you know, turning somebody over to be tortured and killed is a much greater wrong in the long run. And let's be honest, is it ever wrong to lie to a Nazi? <laughs> I mean, honestly, I, I don't think that it is. They are people who are self-deceived and people who are wanting to do nothing but bring harm into the world. And when you add this sort of nuance into morality, people get confused. And the same people who tend to argue against this kind of nuance in morality are the same people who would say there's a difference between killing somebody in war and murder. Well, b both are premeditated and both are homicide. Both end up in a person being killed. See, you're putting a semantic justification in that says, well, yes, killing a person. Because remember, the actual commandment is thou shalt not kill. Now, you can try to be semantic and say that it says you shall not murder. Well, what... Then we have to have a long philosophical argument over what murder is. Killing somebody in combat, or killing somebody to save your own life, in pure, honest-to-God self-defense, those are still murder. We may have built up philosophical justifications for those, and I'm not, at this point, talking about whether any of those are right or wrong, I'm not taking sides, I'm just saying, no one... Even people who claim to be absolutists on the topic of sin actually are absolutists on the topic of sin. Everybody makes exceptions somewhere. And those exceptions actually tell you a lot about the person who's making them. And we'll talk about this at greater length after the break. And we're back. So, we were talking about how everybody makes their own exceptions to various moral claims, even those who very vehemently argue that they believe in moral absolutes. What Paul is actually trying to teach us here is to see the, these situations at play. So, for example, to go back to the dietary example that I was using. I was talking about vegans and others. Well, let's say that your friend is diabetic and you decide to have the triple death by chocolate sugar bomb at your favorite restaurant while they're at the table. Now, note how Paul phrases this. It's, it's really important and instructive here, right? 
So don't overthrow God's work for food's sake. All things are clean. However, it is e- if, uh, however, it is evil for that man who creates a stumbling block by eating. Ah, it is good not to eat meat, drink wine, nor do anything by which your brother stumbles, is offended, or is made weak. If your friend is a recovering alcoholic, maybe you shouldn't be having beer or whiskey in front of them, because that is liable to make them weak. It's liable to make them stumble. And those are things that we don't want to do. Those are things that would actually harm a person in the long run. And that is, after all, the point of what we're talking about here. That's how that becomes sinful. If you encourage an alcoholic to start drinking again, you did a bad thing. So, it's important to understand here how morality is not a fixed thing. It may not be wrong to have a drink with your friends. In fact, the writer of the book of Proverbs tells us that having a strong drink is a good way to forget our problems. But if you're having a drink around someone who is an alcoholic and by your example, you encourage them to fall off the wagon, then you have done a bad thing. This kind of complexity and nuance is something that a lot of people don't want in their morality system. This is why I think it's much easier, instead of going through a lot of do's and don't rules, to simply pull up the three things that Jesus taught us. That we should love our God with all of our heart, mind, and spirit, love our neighbor as ourselves. That we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us, and not do unto others as we would not have them do unto us. As long as you're following those rules then morality is actually quite simple. Do I want to be murdered? No. So I shouldn't murder. Do I want to be condemned because of who I am? No. Therefore, I shouldn't condemn others for who they are. And so on and so forth. Morality becomes a lot simpler when it's boiled down, as Jesus taught us, to the golden rule. So, when we're talking about our sins being forgiven, which is what this is about, one, as you can see from Paul's example here, he a lot of what he's talking about is that sin is something that can create a lot of guilt and problems in a person's own mind. When we remember that God has told us that if we confess our sins and repent of them, now repent is a very important term there, which means to change our action. To, to make make a 180-degree turn, to turn around, right? To change our mind, metanoas, to change our mind. Then we will be forgiven, and God will cast our sin as far as the east is from the west, and it will be remembered no more. You see, we have done several things with the topic of forgiveness. One, we've either turned it into a club wherewith we bludgeon other people because instead of applying the golden rule to do unto others as we would have them do unto us, we have decided to make a list of arbitrary rules and judge other people accordingly. 
And of course, those rules are things that we would never do. It's easy when you're a cisgendered straight person to say homosexuality is wrong because, you know, cisgendered straight people don't have homosexual attractions to other people. That's an easy thing to say. So it allows you to feel morally superior, especially when your rules are things that you yourself would never do. Well, you know, I don't like to drink, so all drinking is bad. Don't drink. Oh, you drank. You're an awful sinful person. Well, I've never been divorced, so divorce is the most heinous crime that you could commit against God and man. That's easy to say when it's not something that you yourself have to deal with. But, again, remember what Jesus taught us, right? Don't point out the beam in your brother's eye before you take the log out of your own. Don't look at somebody else to point out their flaws. In doing so, you will either, one, point to your own flaws and accentuate them in other people so that you can feel morally superior, or two, you will latch on to things that you are not tempted by or things that you do not care about doing so that you can point out, well, other people do, and I'm better than them because I'm not doing those things. That is one of the most disgraceful things anybody could ever do calling themselves Christian. Because the whole point of the Christian faith is to free people and to open their minds, to open their eyes, to open their ears, to set the captives free. You don't set a captive free by condemning them. I mean, think about that. Does that work? You walk up to somebody and they are chained at the wrist and the ankles to a large heavy rock. Now, I want you to just imagine yourself yelling at them. Oh, look at you. How dare you get yourself chained to a large, heavy rock? You're a terrible person. Those chains will bind you and drag you down to hell. How, how did you do that? Just, just, you're a terrible person. You're a terrible, horrible, horrible, evil, sinful person. Okay, now that you've imagined this, how many of you saw the chains fall off of that person because you decided to abuse them with rhetoric. Did the words spontaneously break the chains? I doubt that they did. I mean, it wouldn't really make sense for them to. Words aren't keys. Words don't have the ability to break the chains off of a captive, especially words of condemnation. You can't yell a slave into freedom. You can't. You have to literally break them out of their chains. The only time you can speak a person out of their chains is if this is the Harry Potter universe, and you walk up to somebody, wave your wand, and say, Hello, Hamora, and those words then unlock the shackles. See, condemnation doesn't free people. Condemnation doesn't reconcile people. And this is why so many people today are loath to even talk about sin. 
because over the decades and the centuries, it has been used as a way to feel superior to others, at least we're not as bad as those people. No, that's not how this is supposed to work. Everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. Why? Because none of us is perfect. We all miss the mark. We miss the deadlines. We forget to call people on their birthday. We say that we're going to do something and then we're late or we forget to do it. And these are just the minor common things. We accidentally lie because we misremember something. Everybody falls short. And this is the glory of forgiveness. It is the gift, the free gift from God that allows us to be free from the guilt that we would normally have over these things. It is thrown as far as the East is from the West, so long as we change our minds about it. There are many things that I've done in my life that were not good, but I've changed my mind about them, and I don't do them anymore, because they're things that I shouldn't have been doing in the first place. And so while, yes, in those things I sinned, I asked for forgiveness, and I changed my mind. I changed my actions. And that's what is required of us. And, you know, for those who say, well, that applies to, you know, trans and gay people, because, you know, they just don't have to dress like the opposite gender or fall in love with the same gender. They could just be celibate. No, that's not how that works. See, that's causing more harm. You're telling somebody that in order to not be, not commit an arbitrary sin that you've labeled and selected for them from a book that tells you how to sell your children into slavery and that you can't go to heaven if you've had an accident that has harmed your genitalia. Bear in mind, same book. There's a lot of things in that book. You have to be killed if you wear a garment made out of two f different types of fiber. Mm, check that t-shirt. See, in asking somebody to deny their essential nature, if that nature is not harmful to themselves or others, then all you're doing is asking them to do self-harm so that you feel better. It doesn't do anything for them. Because, yes, there are some things that do appear to be essential to some people's nature. Some people are murderers. And, yes, murder is wrong, and we shouldn't just go, well, some people are murderers. Yes, some people are murderers. But that harms another person. That causes actual, literal harm. Being in love with somebody doesn't cause harm. Love is not harmful. In fact, we are told that God is love. And so, whenever we're discussing these things, whenever we're talking about God, love, sin, and the forgiveness of sins, we have to remember a couple basic things. Whatever is not done in faith is sin. Eh, bear that in mind. If you're not 100% 100%. Uh, 
you, you, you may be guilty of the thing that you're accusing others of. And of course, remember that all you have to do is just talk to God. If you're not sure, God, God will let you know. But love is the sign that you are one with God. That God is with you. So love others. At any rate, it's time for me to say my other things. If you've enjoyed this show, thank you for putting up with my uh, nasal sinusiness. Um, I hopefully will be getting better soon and um, won't have to keep pausing so that I can cough and sneeze. If you enjoyed this episode and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either the episode or the podcast, please do that. That helps me out a lot. That tells the algorithms that they should share me with others. If you have a buck or two you could throw my way, depending on the app, there'll either be a button that says support or in the show notes, there'll be a link that says support on Anchor. If you click that, you can support me at the $1, $5, $10 level. That money goes to me and helps me work out time in my schedule to be able to do all the things that I want to do. It also helps me pay for, you know, hosting on the website and all that. <laughs> if you can give that, that was greatly appreciated. If you can't, don't worry about it. I understand money being tight. Um, trust me, I really do. Please pray for me. That really does help out a lot. You have no idea how much that helps. And if you know anybody who would enjoy this show, please share it with them. That also helps me out a great deal. If you have any questions or comments or any topics that you would like me to cover, head over to anchor.fm and download the Anchor app. Follow me, I'm Wisdom's Cry on Anchor, and you can give, send me a one-minute, up to one-minute voicemail message and ask your question or give your comment. Keep it clean, and I might just use it on the show. Um, I think that's it for me today. Hopefully I will be feeling better tomorrow. Until then, may God bless you and keep you ever growing in wisdom and compassion. Amen.